Are we recording? No, too much, too much, too much, too much. Hey, everybody! Welcome to Ducks Watch Together. I'm Josh. I'm Kylie. And on today's episode, we talk about the day the Earth stood still. I'm gonna interrupt real quick. Okay. Okay. There's a movie that just came out. Okay. Well, it came out a while ago, but AMC just got it. Okay. Called The White Crow. Uh huh. It's directed by Ray Fiennes. Yes, and it's about ballet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited. I'm on board. I'm like, wait, this movie came out last year? That's fine. The Intruder's gone. Aw, shucks. Oh man, Ugly Dolls is still here though. What? Really? Yeah. Oh, I thought I caught the last showing. No, it's still oh. here. You know, those those dolls, they weren't that ugly. What a weird movie. I mean, it was exactly what you thought it would be, but it was a weird movie. Is it a... So I saw, like, the preview just makes me think, like, you're just trying to sell something, right? Yeah. That's what's happening. I mean, it's a movie about dolls, okay. so... Do these dolls exist? Uh, they exist... Okay, so, like, basically, ugly dolls. Okay. There's Ugly Town, and there is um, Perfectville. Um, Dude, ugly dolls exist in sorry. our world. So, like, there's... like, can I go to Target and buy an Ugly Doll brand doll? Yes. But not based on this movie. Did the property exist before? Ugly Dolls existed before the okay. movie Ugly Dolls There's did. my question. STX, the studio, bought the Ugly Doll property to make a movie out of. STX, so don't give it to you. That's true story. <laughs> so, Uglyville and Perfection exist in this world where basically somehow dolls are made and they go to this alternate world where they're, they're taught how to be dolls. And the ugly ones go to Uglyville and per- the perfect ones go to Perfection. And then when you pass the gauntlet of Perfection, you get to go through the portal and have your one perfect child choose you. There's per- perfect children? Well, like, no, there's one perfect match oh. for every doll. And only the perfect dolls get to go through. I don't like this. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's weird. It's, yeah. <laughs> and then, like, of course the lesson of that is every doll's perfect in their own way. It's like looking... Good lesson. Solid. But, like, meh. Why can't we have that message uh-huh. for these kid films where a person is fairly regular, you know? Yeah. Like, it's things like this and Shrek where it's like, we go to such an extreme of like, no, it's okay to be yourself. And it's like, yeah, it is. Let's set it in a realistic society now. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. (laughs) And because of that, then it gets lost in this weird metaphor world of trying to be like, it's okay. Like, even to the point where they go back to the she's all that uh, crutch of... The Janelle Monet perfect doll, her imperfection that she's trying to hide is that she wears glasses. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Can we all just leave that in the 90s where it belongs? Yeah. And it's pointed out that it's shallow, and it's pointed out that the whatever Jonas brother is in the movie, Nick. Nick... Uh, it, his character... Who, according to David Sims, gives the worst performance in all of film in Welcome to the Jungle. I mean, listen... Are you on that train of thought? No, but I, <laughs> I, I, I support my friend David, so... <laughs> my friend who I've never met, David. It's such, like, a strange one to pick out. <laughs> uh, Nick Jonas... It's, it's pointed out that his character is shallow from, like, day one, and so all of the old stereotypes that he's holding on to... Though, sadly, get the catchiest song in the entire film are pointed out to be 
highly incorrect and wrong. I was like, listen, if you're five, if you're five and this is the first time you're encountering these ideas, great, sure, awesome. However, you. I'm not. I was not. Uh, I had my private screening of Ugly Dolls. That's what I always like to, I always question a lot with some of these films that we do. Like, am I going to view this as me, a cynical 25-year-old, or am I viewing it as my mm, not-so-questioning six-year-old self? Or are you viewing it as Jack Torrance? (laughs) (laughs) The most important question that there ever is to ask. Oh, so I'm supposed to watch The Shining from Jack Torrance's (laughs) point of view? I mean, maybe. Who knows? It just, Ugly Dolls tried to be trolls, but it wasn't good. Like, it wasn't, the trolls, for all its flaws, has some catchy music and, like, at least there are some fun performances and animation. Ugly Dolls, it doesn't have anyone having fun and the music is bad. Which is weird. Everyone's a singer in that. Everyone's yeah. a musician. I don't believe that the perfor- like the, the performers in, in terms of like their singing is bad. What it's if we a- let them write yeah. their own music? Let's do it. Like, see here here's what I would do. Here's what I here's here's something funky that I could like I would want to do is like you get these artists who are creative and I I know that with some with some musicians, they don't always write their own work, but I would find the like I would find ones who are popular, who write their own work, who take a lot of passion in their work, uh-huh. and I would be like, "All right, you are going to write your song for this moment," and I give them the detail of what's happening, and I want you to think about how your character would feel. And I want you to write the song for me. I think that would be great. I don't know if every artist has that capability, but no, I, I would... I'm going to find the special one. No. Lady Gaga? Yeah. No, I'm not saying that they don't have that capability. Jackson Maine? Because I feel like Janelle Monet probably does have that capability. I um, can't totally speak for Kelly Clarkston. Like, I don't know if she's just like... Because Kelly Clarkston continues her trend of not being Clarkson. able... Clarkson. There's no T. Sorry, Kelly Clarkson not being able to act. <laughs> That's something she can't do. Uh, but she tries. Earnest. Very earnest. Like, I feel like this is, like, some Tennessee mom's favorite movie. I, I, I like Kelly Clarkson as an artist. I think that what she stands for is very positive. Agreed. You know, she doesn't have any of, like... Like, we never hear any stories about her doing anything, like, harmful. She's just kind of like, I'm a mom. I'm having fun. I'm making music that I want to make. Like, I'm just like, cool, go, Kelly Clarkson. I was there. I wasn't watching American Idol when she won, but I was there when that first CD came out. And it was my jam. And then quickly I got American Idiot and I said, goodbye, Kelly Clarkson. (laughs) You're like, my life would suck without you, (laughs) but more if I didn't have Green Day. (laughs) There was a real turning point. Of but like, I agree with you on that. I feel like... Okay, we're having a great conversation about the day <laughs> still, and it's just called Ugly Dolls. <laughs> well, listen, I saw Ugly Dolls, everybody, and we had to get it out. It had to top number five most anticipated movie of the summer. Here it was. Uh, even after I gave you ten <laughs> other films to maybe consider from, you still were like, nope, you know what? Sometimes you just have to take a moralistic stance when you say something really stupid and just go with it. You know? Just just own it. I put a, There's 11 films now on my summer list. There are probably 17 summer films that I'm more excited than no. Ugly Dolls. Oh no! Ah... <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> All right, listeners, um, uh, welcome to... It's, summer starts this weekend, right? 
Officially? Official, yeah. Well, kind of. Yeah. It, like... Unofficial official? Like, historically? Yes, like, <laughs> the summer movie season would technically start now. Even though it sometimes starts in April now? I would say as of a decade ago, maybe a little bit more, but as of about a decade or so ago, in the mid-2000s, summer pushed to the beginning of May. Um, because the, that's kind of when they started releasing the, the bigger superhero films and the bigger blockbusters, like, sort of coming out at the beginning of the month and then letting it play through till Memorial Day and just to get a jump on the season. And then it just kind of got earlier and earlier at that point. But I would, I, I would say that that decade ago, but the traditional summer model is Memorial Day to Labor Day. Um, however, in my and summer bet, we go the beginning of May to Labor Day. Mm. So how's that going? Uh, so far, okay. I haven't super tra- checked in a little bit. Um, I think I got the detective, which I'm doing okay. Did you get the John? I think so. I think you had John Wick because I think I said like I... <sighs> you were confused that Anne had first pick again because she went with Spider Man. Which I think is a solid pick. Yeah, sure. But also, it would have been my second pick to the film that I ended up getting at my number one, which is... Toy Story 4. TS4. Toy Story 4. Yeah. I have it. Okay, great. Okay, good. Awesome. Do you want to run through our our top 15s here? Um, Or at least our top fives. Who's the top fives? Sure. So you have Toy Story 4, Detective Pikachu, Fast and Furious Presents, Hobbs and Shaw, Rocket Man, Secret Life of Pets. And she has. Secret Life of Pets 2. See, here. My one and two, like, it would either be Toy Story 4 or The Lion King. Uh huh. Which is her second pick. Yes. But I was just like, yeah, I get that. Right? You gotta get that stuff. Gotta get that money. Gotta get that family money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Spider-Man, Far From Home, The Lion King, Aladdin, X-Men, Dark Phoenix, and Godzilla, King of Monsters. (sighs) That's not a a terrible top five, but I'm just worried about Dark Phoenix. I'm very worried about Dark Phoenix, and I'm also worried about Godzilla, King of Monsters for her. Mm -hmm. Like... She might have first pick again next year. I think she's running on a streak here that is gonna <laughs> hopefully not. I her her summer rides on Spider Man and Lion King because I uh, I'm gonna say this again. I think her summer actually lies on Spider Man because my assumption is that Toy Story four and Lion King essentially a wash. Like, one will make more than the other, but... By how much? It won't be enough to really matter. Mm -hmm. And so it's can Far From Home keep her in the running with other things. Because if Far From Home also does really well, which I think it will. I Don't get me wrong. I think it's going to be the t- in a top five of the summer. It'll just be like, last year what happened was I ended up in the top five. Uh, she had, and I don't remember what the movies were, but she ended up having two, three, and four, but I had one and six through ten. So, like, that's just where I ended up winning. Hey, friends. If Your you... sixth pick was Dora City of Gold. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want Anne to win now. 
Listen, I went with Eugenio, okay? I gotta get that Eugenio money. <laughs> we gotta make that Eugenio Okay, bag. we gotta start talking about the dating or sit still. <laughs> Listen, friends, if you want to answer the inquiry of the half Fortnite, which is what move is going to make a lot of money this summer, summer 2019, you can do so at friendofafriendpodcast.squarespace.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Give us a five-star review or any star review as well as hit that subscribe button. Klaatu Barada Nikto. There it is. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Nope, I've already said that. On Facebook at Friend of a Friend Podcast. And now on with the show. We did it, everyone. We got a classic movie back on the... Yeah! Boom, 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 boom. like it's been a while. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's going to be like two weeks to go. <laughs> um, how, did, how did the day the earth stood still end up on our calendar, Kylie? It's been a long time. It forty two was our last old school, film. and that was mid April uh, or early April. It was March. Did that? Oh yeah, baseball season started really early this year. Mm-hmm. Man, we covering a lot of good new stuff. Yeah, but then we went on a run from us until John Wick three. There you go. Here we are. Man, wow, the days of Earth. So how did this get on here? Yeah. Well, originally we weren't gonna. We were gonna do a new film. <laughs> We're going to keep our streak going. It's called Ad Astra, Mm -hmm. which is this space film that's never come out. It's directed by James Gray, director of uh, The Lost City of Z and and The Immigrant. Okay. Is is Cuckoo Cotillard in that? Uh, (laughs) Yes. Sorry. Sorry. My brain had to like... Uh, Marion Cotillard is in The Immigrant. Yes. Yes, we got there. Yes. Cuckoo Cotillard? What? You have not heard that? No, I've not heard this. So Marion Cotillard is like very into conspiracy theories. Oh my gosh. Like, she has thoughts on things. She's an actor that I really, really like, but also seems to take things way too seriously. Yeah, fair enough. There you go. Um, she takes things too seriously. Well, because all of her work, she's just so like into it and focused and like the art this of is, acting. This is how all minds actually work. The city builds upon itself. Thank I can't you. do. I can't do yeah, French. That was good. Was, oh. <laughs> oh, whoa. Okay, a little too Lumiere on that last thing. Um. So yeah, Ad Astra, supposed to come out, starring Brad Pitt. And why were we going to do Ad Astra? Because... Because... One, Mm -hmm. Brad Pitt. I love Brad Pitt. He's one of my guys. Though, I know he's a flawed guy, but he's one of my guys. Well, what's wrong with him? Um, nothing uh, in terms of, like, um, I don't think problematic things other than, like, maybe not the best husband in all the land. Like, maybe has a little bit too much of a drinking problem. But, like, still wants to support his kids, but is really struggling with that kind of thing. Okay. So, yeah. he's just a human. So, he's just a human. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, not all of us can be Keanu. No, yeah. Not all of us can be Keanu. <laughs> From what I hear, not, like, not not trash human. Just, like, oh, struggling. Really struggling a little bit. Yeah, sometimes it happens. Yeah, it's okay. We like you, Brad. We'll be here for you. Uh, Brad Pitt, love, one of my guys. Also... When you originally did this, you were like, should we do Brightburn or Ad Astra? And then I was just like, I feel like we haven't done a lot of sci-fi, and that probably is my... I'm not going to say fault, but like, that's probably my doing. Not because I don't like sci-fi, but it's a genre that I just don't seek out unless it's in like a big 
blockbustery kind of way. I don't blame you for it. I actually, like, I, I wouldn't put the blame on you at all. I'd put the blame on the film industry. Society. Yeah, because, like, sci-fi films are... So the genre of sci-fi is wonderful because it lends itself to so many other genres. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it gets lost in the mix of it all. Yeah. And so science fiction... Science fiction now, for the most part, are superhero films, but those are more action-y than science fiction, though they all, they have their roots in science fiction. And, blah, blah, blah. and so... And they use sci-fi themes. Yeah, so what we get now are, like, the superhero films, the sci-fi horror films... Or sequels? Or, like, you also get, like, alien invasion films every now and Mm -hmm. again. Or even something like, what do you consider something like a Godzilla, so to speak? Well, that seems like, uh... So that is a science fiction, well, kind of, It's like a monster film, but, like, it... it, it It, Yeah. It's more of, like, the Independence Day, like... What are the disaster film? Yeah. That's more of a disaster film, which, again, is, like, a a subgenre of science fiction. And, like, disaster films also have a subgenre not in science fiction yes. like twister yeah. or titanic and so like pure science fiction where it's just science fiction and not mixing with other genres don't come out very often in the recent years the ones that have come out are things like ex machina mm-hmm. arrival mm-hmm. blade runner 2049 and a- annihilation those are the big ones that have hit the mainstream. And I would say none of them were overtly financially successful. I'm not saying that it's a barometer of anything other than did people see them, but I, feel, I think... I they, think Arrival might have been the, the biggest most. one. Yeah, because it also got Oscar nominated and such like that. Yeah, and it had Amy Adams. I think that with sci-fi, the reason... So Arrival made... Domestically, a hundred million on a forty-seven million, and that's great in terms of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sci-fi itself as a genre, I am excited to engage with more and more as I as as I kind of understand what it's about. And it seems to me that the ideas in sci-fi are more important than maybe some of the execution of some of the elements of it. Meaning that, for me, if you have a really good solid idea that you're examining or a theme that you're examining or lesson that you're trying to get the world to understand that's gonna then you weave that through your sci-fi plot that's gonna serve your film or your story better than if you're just dealing with aliens or other things in the the elements here and i think that that's what we've talked about with genre films in just not just in sci-fi but when you think about horror and fantasy if you're trying to say something greater than the means itself, your film is going to come across better. Mm-hmm. Um, but just being like, it's a science fiction movie, therefore like it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not a good ploy. Because horror, fantasy, and science fiction are at their best when they're trying to make commentary on society. Well, and there's also a lot of junk in those genres. There's, you know... Because there's not a strong theme that they're trying to exhibit. Yes, they're just using the elements to tell their story, not anything else. And I think that's where there is this barrier for a lot of folks coming into those three genres in specific is because 
you don't know if you're sitting down to something that's worthwhile or something that is unwatchable swill. You just don't know, mm-hmm. you know. But with the day the Earth stood, stood still, 1951, not 2008. Yeah, just to be clear, <laughs> we're not talking about the 2008 version. The Keanu version. The Keanu version. The Keanu cut. <laughs> Release the Keanu cut. I'm gonna fix this movie. I don't think it needs fixing. <laughs> what? It just needs obliteration. No, I liked. It. it just needs more. The Keanu Wait. cut. Oh, sorry. No, I understand what's happening. I'm following the bit now. The Keanu cut is him fixing his version of the Got day it. Earth No, in my still. brain, Keanu was taking the footage from the 51 version and being like, oh, I can make it better. I'm no. like, no, Keanu, no. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Um, you have a box set of just four, like, films from the science fiction genre. Uh-huh. Of, like, cla- classic science fiction. Uh-huh. And one of them always throws me off that it's not the day the Earth stood right? still. Right, I agree, because I thought I owned this movie, <laughs> and I don't. Um, because you, it's 2001, uh-huh. Soylent Green, uh-huh. The Time Machine, uh-huh. and Forbidden Planet. Yes. And of those, I mean, like, the first two, great. Those are solid classics. Yeah. The Time Machine, I'll even give to you. It's, it's societally relevant, yeah. if nothing else. But Forbidden Planet, how often are you just like, alright boys and girls, let's watch Forbidden Planet. Can I can I give you what I think is the argument for Forbidden Planet? Sure. Because I think that it is, though not on the level of the other three and the day the Earth stood still, there's a character in there known as Robbie the Robot. And I think that Robbie is the reason that it's there because if you look at his design and what like this idea of what he does in the film, he's kind of proto droid, he's kind of proto robot and therefore <laughs> this is the I think that that's why it's here. For the design for just that character alone. Yeah. I think that that's what holds that film in that in that high regard so to speak but Gort but Gort but Gort just looks like a spaceman yeah Gort is an eight foot actor in a suit yeah 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 <laughs> what a good boy yeah. oh what? good Gort good Gort he's a good Gort <laughs> so in Gort we trust in Gort we trust so then when Ad, Ad Astra didn't come out yes got uh, moved into the abyss uh, they say it's gonna come out d- during fall for but We'll see, uh, Disney. I'm hoping. I'm coming. This is another Fox film that Disney bought. Here's what I think they're going to do. I think they're going to shove it over to Fox Searchlight and push it in the award season. I think that's what they're going to try to do. Because then that way they've got uh, something that looks a little more, more big, big budget. And then they've got a bigger star in there. And if it gets some traction, because James Gray has some traction after the Lost City of Z. Zed. Um, and so, you know, just keep that bit running. I love it. <laughs> um, yes, I think that they're going to try for awards with that. And I'm hoping that's true. Maybe Ad Astra will get back onto our calendar later this year. Here's my thing. Yeah. It might cancel out with High Life. It might. Because High Life is also a science-y... Yeah. That's an astronaut... I don't know if it's science fiction, but it's an astronaut thing. Yeah. But then that could cancel out with The Lighthouse because Ropat is just in both. (laughs) Ropat's from your guy. Yeah. 
right? No, the, not that. The, the lighthouse li- is from your guy. Robert Eggers, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I've seen some stills from the lighthouse, and I am on board. Uh, I've only seen the stills where Willem Dafoe is standing next to Robert Patrick. Those are the ones that I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, a picture's worth a thousand words. Oh, my oh, God. I don't know why you're Keanu. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Like, they're just looking so withered and worn out and old. And like, yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, maybe Robert Eggers is just going to, like, sneak his way onto my, like, list. list. He could be like, hey, Danny, can I move in next to you? Oh, what's up, Mr. Boyle? <laughs> so then we decided to do a classic science fiction film, and Josh said... I don't know. He said, what should we do? And I just said, the day the Earth stood still, and it was... Written in stone. And I said, great, because I haven't seen it. But I know that it is historically significant. Yes. So let's rock and roll on it. And if nothing else, I, I hope that this podcast can not only broaden my horizons and fill some gaps there, but to fill some gaps for our listeners, too. Yeah. So 1951's The Day the Earth Stood Still stands as a pretty culturally relevant film today, but also at its time it was a very big deal. It was a big box office hit. It was um, well respected and it kind of, though it didn't get a lot of nominations or awards, it was one of the bigger films of that year. Uh, it comes out uh, in, in the 50s during this time where we're talking a lot about nuclear weapons, and we've just finished World War Two. Um, or like, we're flirting with Cold War things. Yeah, and, and so its themes are very relevant. And a president of Fox Studios, Daryl Zanuck, at the time, he's really into honest, real films. And so when his producer who produces this movie comes to him and says he wants to do a sci-fi, his his agreement to it is as long as it it has some real honest ideas in it and I think that that holds true and so they bring on Robert Wise to direct the film who is kind of a gun for hire a little bit at 20th Century Fox right now but Robert Wise then goes on after this this is kind of his lone standalone kind of sci-fi effort but uh, no sorry not lone standalone sci-fi effort because he comes back to the genre in the original Star Trek movie but for a long time it is uh, he's mostly known for The Sound of Music and uh, co-directing West Side Story with Jerome Robbins and so he he has some later on successes but I actually think you can see his influence on this film quite a bit also it's a little bit of a backstory setup for The Day the Earth Stood Still. How do we do this? Because we haven't done an old movie in a while. <laughs> a question I will ask you in a month. <laughs> <sighs> um, because, like, with new movies, we have the standard expectations, uh-huh. sometimes a theater experience where we complain about society. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then <laughs> we talk about what we like and what we dislike and then we spoil it well so uh, spoilers we'll spoil this movie as we go through it's a classic film it's been out since 1951 um I say sometimes if one of us has seen it before we talk about our initial experience I've not seen this movie before have you seen this prior yeah it played so um the college I went to had an independent movie theater and once a month they showed a classic science fiction film which is how I actually got to see a lot of more classic science fiction stuff. They also did this with Jap- Japanese cinema. It was great. Saw one of my professors there every single time. I think he liked me because he was like, wow, look at this student <laughs> who's trying to learn about my culture. 
Like, do you think that this professor gave you a better grade? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) I think that I got the grade that I got because everyone was failing his class, and he could not have that be true. Like, well, this one watches <laughs> Japanese cinema, so we'll make that the standard. D minus. Everybody else. Wow, you think I got a D minus? I don't. I don't. <laughs> you just said that everybody else was failing, so it's like you're the one that he passes. Well, it was what we had at one point was we had a final, right? Uh huh. And he was like, "You can have two hours, okay?" The like two hour mark comes, no one is done. He's like, "All right, we'll add another hour." Uh-huh. That final was five hours long. Oh gosh. We were there for what was it math of some kind? Yeah. Okay. I was like, so like I was just like, and I saw him afterwards while I was at work because I left and went to work, and he was just like, yeah, maybe I made that too hard, (laughs) and I was like, it was different. You're like, but Akira now. Let's talk about that. (laughs) Seven Samurai. (laughs) I love Seven Samurai. The day of the earth stood still. Uh, yeah, so I, I went and saw this. Um, just because I, it was it was, I was it was cheap to go to. Um, you know, just kind of like a way to like go see film. Because I think that it's easier to sit down, especially now, because I think our society is struggling with attention and mm-hmm. like being able to to sit down and enjoy a thing. I think that going to a theater is the easiest way to go and see some of these older films. Agreed. Like, I probably would not have finished Cruel Intentions if I wasn't in the theater. <laughs> and even, like, with these older films and, like, foreign films, when you're in a theater and there's an expectation of you, like, it's much easier to hold yourself to that mm-hmm. expectation and sit and watch the film. Yeah. And so I just, I think that that's, like, an easier way to go about it. And I... I quite liked this film the first time I saw it. Um, Its themes and messaging I thought were very strong and very interesting, especially how they're still true. And um, I was just like, wow, why did we remake this film? It's a good question. So uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still follows the story of Klaatu, an alien who comes to Earth with a specific purpose in mind. And that specific purpose he wants to reveal only to the leaders of the world. But and he so, only wants to reveal it to them as on equal ground. Listen, it's a good it's a good reason. I also don't want to repeat myself over and over again when I could just say it to one person in one message. And then instead of, you know, trying to tell everybody individually so maybe if we would all realize that we can come together at group meetings every now and again and then that don't have to have things specifically spelled out for you all the time. Yeah, me too, Klaatu. I'm with you. You want to talk about it's fine. <laughs> anything, Josh? It's fine. That's all fine. It's fine. Uh, it's fine. You know you can get out of the mug? What? It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Of course I could. Yeah. <laughs> it's, all, it's always been there. Yes. Um. So... Yeah, so Klaatu's like, hey, listen, I need all the world leaders to just get along for a minute. Like, a hot second. And, like, the... And the Secretary of State's like... <laughs> no. Yeah. So, Klaatu then escapes from the uh, hospital that he's being held in. 
And he then meets a very innocent boy who te- who they teach each other about ways in life, and then decides to talk to a scientist, and then is like, we'll get the scientists together. And they're all like, yeah, sure, we'll all come to your spaceship because we're, there's a spaceship here sitting Hashtag on Earth. Hashtag science. Hashtag science. He also fixes a math problem for him. Does. True story. Nice clap, too. Listen, it's how you get somebody on your side. You fix their math problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then by the end of the film, uh, the boy, Bobby, has been like, wait a minute. You... You might be this alien fellow. Yeah, everyone knows that this alien is out, like, yeah. in the public, and, like, there's, like, panic over that as well. And so, Bobby figures out who, he's an alien, and then Bobby's mom, who's also bumming around this film, is like, wait, you're an alien? I'm gonna help you out. But only after he makes the day, the Earth stand still for about 30 minutes or so, and then into the film is like, hey, here's what I was here to do. Mm-hmm. Gort. Robot. That was the worst plot summary ever, but let's let's call it good. So that's what our film is. It's pretty much there. Um, we've talked a lot about the themes and the ideas of this movie, and it seems like as good of place as any to start when talking about this movie. What? Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, what I really enjoy about this film is I think it it holds up, and it holds up because what Clotu is trying to do is basically saying that you have entered into with your introduction into nuclear weaponry you have entered into a whole other realm of warfare and a whole other realm that you don't even know oh cute baby humans but now that you've done this you can either stop right here no more nuclear development or you can abide by the rules that we have set up in the outer galaxy, and my friend Gort here has no problem killing you if you don't follow by these standards to help us keep the peace. That's an interesting theme. I think it's an interesting idea. Like it's exploring the idea of can we explore responsibly in scientific areas and what do we get to explore versus what we don't... Like, I just... I like a lot of the, the, the themes that, it's, that are there. And, I mean, I think that Klaatu stands as a Christian metaphor of some form of Jesus figure. But it's never in a way that's... It's not a Superman way right. where we put out the arms and cross the leg and... His initials are JC on Earth. Like, the name he comes up with himself is John Carpenter. Carpenter <laughs> is a very blatant Christ allegory. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. However, it, it's not in the way of like, it's not in a way that is too over the top. Agreed. Unnecessary. He has that moment, which they had to add to the studio, the studio, the writer had to add because they were not okay with it, where he comes back to life and he has to be like, well, that's decided by the, uh, the almighty creator himself. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's very much like, oh, okay. We got we got a Jesus metaphor up in here. Yes. Um, and I think that in a way, like the what the robots represent, because they they say like, on my planet, we put all of our aggression, we hold all of our all resp- all responsibility we have in terms of aggression is taken care of by these robots. 
where mm-hmm. if we act poorly, the robots take action. Right. And so, like, I mean, that's also, like, if you're a bad person, God might smite you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's said in a way, and it's putting in this very... It's putting it in a way that regardless of whether you see that imagery or not, you can still enjoy this movie. And if you do see it and you do are like, whoa, you're kind of like having a good time still. Mm-hmm. And if you if you don't see it, you can still are left with something to think about of like, yeah. what responsibility do we have? Because we can also say like, oh, well, Gort doesn't just stand for um, re- Christian religious overtones. And it could also stand for a police... Uh, 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 the policing of things that can also stand for just like laws and morals of society and so there are other things other than just being like well this is the only way to view it whether you see it or not you can still get both sides that's what the movie has layers the movie has depth the movie is not interested in telling it's like an ogre it's like an ogre um it's it's not interested in telling you there's one right way to view it. It's interested in letting you engage with how you want to see this movie because you can also look at it as an indictment of the 1950s political system, which is still the political system that we have in the 1910s here, you know, or in the 2010s, sorry, um, that it is an unhealthy system that refuses to come together and listen and talk to each other. It gives lip service to cooperation and collaboration, but at the end of the day, it's full of politicians who are out for themselves and their own platforms and their own people. And by Klaatu coming in and saying initially, I am here for peace and then being shot, we also are referencing that there are incidents in our world in which our humanity devolves to responding out of nothing but fear. And when we live in this constant state of fear, and we live in this constant state that that is our ruling kind of emotion, we make poor choices. And then we have consequences for those poor choices. And though the consequences in this film are large, there are there's an entire day where electricity is gone for 30 minutes or so you know it is it is done through a kind of benevolent character because i would say that Klaatu himself has no ill will towards the human race no matter how he is treated by them he um he does teach them a lesson though in saying that no your world is fragile and you need to come listen to what i have to say but I don't think the humanity heeds the, heeds the warning. I think the scientists are there because they want to know about the science things. But but as we all know, we don't, as a society, listen to scientists. Yeah, I do think that that's a really fascinating way that this film... This film kind of posits that the people who need to hear this information most are the politicians. But the people who are, who are going to hear it are the scientists... And then it it doesn't quite get to ask the question of who's going to listen to the scientists because the movie ends. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's the next kind of step is, like, do you listen to those people who are researching and studying and finding out about them? Also, I don't understand how... This is about one of my little quibbles with this movie. I don't understand how an alien can come to Earth and, like, be giving this giant presentation and there not be, like... 
everybody under the sun, like, flocking to hear what this alien has to say. Like, how, what world is this? Um, alien invasion movies, I think, are so interesting, just the way that they've developed, because we've gone from something like that mm-hmm. to the Independence Day and the Mars Attacks, where it's kind of like... Whoa! Yeah. To like something like Arrival, which Arrival's made in a post nine eleven mm-hmm. world, and I think Arrival actually hits how we would feel. Yeah, the the best of just like yeah. that fear and that panic, and I, I, I with this with this a lot of the time it feels like it's a spectacle for the average day people because they go and they go look at the spaceship and they're like golly gee willikers isn't that cool yeah and even like Klaatu's there and like they try and like there's a reporter there. And they he they start asking him questions, but then he starts saying things that are socially relevant, and they're like, ah, oh, never mind. We'll go find mm-hmm. someone else to say what we want. They don't want to be presented with anything that's away from what exactly what they want, what they think. They want everything to just be placed inside of a box. You during this movie were listening to the score, and you were like, uh-huh. am I am I supposed to be afraid of Klaatu? Yeah. And I, I think that what the score does is it shows not, it's not saying like audience be afraid of Klaatu. I think it's supposed to be the representation of like Helen and Bobby because like for Helen and Bobby, this is a little bit weird. Like there's, a, there's an alien hanging out here. Yes. And I think that it, the score, which is done by Bernard Herrmann, who is uh, most famously known for being Alfred Hitchcock's kind of guy. He did for like, being a baller. For being a baller. Uh, he did Psycho. He did North by Northwest. He did Vertigo. Like he, Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. Yeah. Taxi he, driver. He. Cape Fear. You know all the greats. Twilight Zone. Possibly. Yeah. So he's kind of the John Williams before John Williams of his time, uh, and. What he does is, I, I agree with you, he's trying to give it from those characters' point of view, but I think his goal is to try to put some doubt in the audience's mind and to mm. put some, to kind of help ratchet this tension up a little bit because, and maybe this is just me, I'll, I'll speak for myself, I don't think Klaatu is ever presented as anything but this kind of kind benevolent alien who yes has the power to take away our electricity and does so but he does so in the sense of you all aren't listening yeah but he doesn't do it like in a malicious way because he's like hospitals you can keep your energy he does it in that way yeah right he does it in that (laughs) way where he's like no you've been a bad child go sit in the corner for 20 minutes and then we're gonna talk about what you did wrong gotta be careful can't forget them (laughs) set a timer you know um not saying that having a child sit in the corner for 20 minutes is good parenting or anything along those lines but like that's pretty much his method he's like i'm gonna do this thing to you because you are not engaging with me in this conversation you're burying your head in the sand and so herman's score really i think is focused on building tension around this guy and that as the film goes on and as the government becomes more and more becomes closer to finding him and catching him we start this is how the film builds tension is through this score and and i will just say not to not to to hurt the score at all it did feel a little out of place at times for me because i felt it was trying to 
Maybe it was just placed in the wrong moments, but it just it felt like they were trying to get emotion and trying to get tension out of scenes that they just weren't there. Mm-hmm. You know, they wanted you to feel one way when I I was feeling another. Well, and I think that maybe with 1951, paranoia was even different from all I, I would current. say different because I think we have a lot of paranoia right now. Yeah, but, but it, it comes in different way, ebbs and flows. And so maybe, it, I don't know how much you knew about this film beforehand, but like when you're watching this for the first time and you have no expectation about what's going to happen, it can, you can be even more doubtful on yeah. what are Klaatu's intentions. Because like with societal paranoia, like the alien comes down and people are just like, it could easily that the audience of 1951 goes and sees that and they're like, oh, I'm not on board with this Klaatu. He is not red-blooded American. And I think that's, I still think the audience of 2019 would have and could have a very similar response. As you mentioned earlier, there are different ways to engage with this film. And I think if one of the ways that you're engaging with this film is like, bad man comes into our territory and disobeys the government, that makes him a villain. That makes him... Villain might be too strong of a word, but that makes him untrustworthy. You know, and so yeah, absolutely, I, I agree with the point that you're making. Yeah. Um, looking a little bit at. Oh, sorry. One more point on the score that I wanted to make was I like that Bernard Herrmann's use of the theremin in the score, that kind of like otherworldly sound. And from what I was doing a little bit of research, this is one of the first times that the theremin is used to help represent sci-fi alien spacey themes and that becomes a huge influence influence on the genre a little bit later so just another way that Herman is influencing uh, film and cinema and I think that this film actually goes on to influence a lot of science fiction as we've talked about like it's showing like how you can use science fiction to um view societal issues which i think was a lot more commonplace back in the back in the good old days Mm -hmm. where if you were making a movie it felt like you were making a movie for a reason while Mm -hmm. today it feels like you're making a movie for financial gain yes which like that's still that's still true in the past yeah but it was if to me it feels like it's harder to make a movie back then than it was is today oh Interesting. I I agree with you and I disagree with you in like almost equal measures. (laughs) Because I feel like it's easier to make a movie back then for artistic purposes. Mm -hmm. If you can get a studio head or a producer behind you and they're going to give you that money, you can make that movie. There's a lot more weird movies kind of being made. Whereas now, I think if you want to make a movie that is a little bit more hits all four quadrants and like a little more sterile in that sense, you can make that movie pretty easily all day. But if you try to whip anything in there, put a little art in there in new ways, that's where it becomes a little bit more of a struggle. I guess like where I was coming from more is that like today, like every week you get three to four yes. new movies. Mm-hmm. However, back in the day where like the things with Jaws and everything, there was like 
a movie, a new movie yeah. came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you had to wait a little bit before another new movie came out. And cinemas were still filled with the movies of the past, the mm-hmm. classic movies, because you could that was the only way to watch them. So, so there was not a need for a new movie every week too. So yeah. maybe like my, my statement is like when a movie came out back in the day it was it was less of a niche thing mm-hmm. and more yeah. or a kish thing. It was more of like a Event. Yeah. Well, today it's like, wow, I've never gone a week without getting a new movie in this theater. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Performances, I like. I like this movie a lot. I think the lead actor who they cast as not he's not a complete unknown, but they there. I was reading a story that they were going to cast either Claude Rains or Spencer Tracy in this lead role of Claude Two. And Claude Rains happened to be busy in um, England at the time. And Spencer Tracy read the script, loved the script, but Robert Wise, the director, had to kind of say, Spencer, I'll work with you on a different project. But what I need for this role, he's like, imagine if this alien comes down and he steps out of the spaceship and then you, the audience, sees Spencer Tracy. Like, you know who that is. You know what that person is. There's a, there's a relatability there. But imagine if you see somebody you don't know somebody who is a little bit more suspicious because you don't have a prior relationship to them and so, so that's... they're undoing shorthand yes mm-hmm. yeah and so that's the reason why they go with the actor that they go with whose name i'm, I'm forgetting at this moment um michael renee michael renee who goes on to do a little bit after this but this i still think is probably his most culturally significant work um I think he's in the third man the third man television series oh you're right yes um so but i think that choice works really well because he's this he's sandman in batman of course <laughs> which batman <laughs> the live action television show oh there you go with our, with our homeboy adam west adam west in the house r.i.p.d or just r.i.p <laughs> it's like, what's the d that's the movie from yeah yeah, with Jeff Bridges and Department. Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, yeah. The rest in peace department. I don't, is, I don't know if it's rest in peace. I know that the D is department, yeah. but in their thing it might be something stupid. Who knows? It's based on a graphic novel. Kevin Bacon's in it. Yeah, true story. No, like, if you look at his stuff, it's mostly television. He worked, but he never, I think, managed to rise beyond this movie. Um, And I think his performance really is something unique and special to the point where he does feel alien in this yeah world, but you he feels alien this alien in this world but we as we're watching it learn to come to terms with him and like we lose our suspicion at some we point we do and he manages to do this really engaging deadpan because i think he's never you know his emotions are never above a five through a, even when he's like you guys are stupid for not listening to me and, after he gets shot he's like this was just a gift yeah like <laughs> dudes what are you doing or even when he's like his life's on the line he's like Klaatu Barada Nikta Barada Nikta and she's like what and he's like Klaatu Barada Nikta like you gotta say it to the robot maybe it's Nikto Nikto maybe it's Nikto he, I like that choice. I like his choice to remain calm and remain 
nice and still through the whole film. And that doesn't mean that he's not experiencing other emotions, but he's always engaging when he does it. And he's always, it makes sense as to why in 2008, if you're going to do this re remake of it, that you put a person like Keanu Reeves in the role. Because love Keanu as I do, he is also, An his career <laughs> is engaging deadpan. That's pretty much what he does. So that that choice makes a lot of sense. Maybe not a lot of the other things that the 20, 2008 version does. I, I can't say that I've seen it. So it, It's considered a... Oh, it has a good word. Let me see if I can get that good word. It's considered a... Failure? It's a loose adaptation. Oh, a loose adaptation. <laughs> Did you you mentioned that you might get around to watching I did it? Not really okay, it. all right. Twelve twelve oh eight. Twelve twelve oh eight. There it is. Um, I just look at this poster. I, I the poster of the other one. Twelve twelve oh eight. It comes out in December. Yeah. They're like Christmas. Oscar play. <laughs> Come watch Keanu. Not a moat. Just look at this poster. <laughs> I, like, this makes it look like... This is gonna be a thing. <laughs> although, so it's like... It, although this is what I imagine it to be like when an alien comes. Like, everybody is going to go to the spot where the alien is. The, even the poster for the original is still like... Super misleading? Yeah. yeah. And like... But that's like what science fiction was back in the day. Like, we have to get people in the seats. They're like, look at this busty blonde woman who's not actually in the movie. <laughs> uh, um, the child performance in this movie, I don't mind. Um, Bobby? Bobby. Bobby's a good kid. Played uh, by Billy Gray. Who ends up being in, like, Father Knows Best, I think, is his other host mode. Uh huh Yeah. Burr, 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 burr. He's still alive. Well, dude. Yeah, born in 38. Get it, Bobby. And he's fine. I think it's, it's a very typical, like, 50s child, but he doesn't... He, I, I don't ever find his character grating or annoying, and in fact... The sequence where him and Klaatu are walking around Washington and they're just teaching each other how to be human and or alien. I really like. It's probably my favorite sequence of the whole movie where they're just those two characters. And I the, my, I think my favorite scene of the movie is between those two. And it's where they get to Arlington Cemetery in Washington and he's just like, you don't have places like this? He's like, no, we have cemeteries, but we don't have places where we honor the war you know, honor the fallen war people. And they're like, and he's like, but they fought for us. Like, this is what we do. Like, we honor their, their, and I just like, I thought that scene was really interesting to allow the child performer to carry so much weight and heft at the time along with the adult actor. I just, I, I like the dynamic. I also like what it's, in 1951, it feels very progressive because it still feels progressive today to even question this idea of, why do we have cemeteries for people who died in war? It's war. I just, it's a good question to put in your film and then to put that with the child character to have him start to grapple and deal with it I think is really interesting. Because it's really for the living. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And then there's this weird morph where he turns into old Matt Damon. Sorry. Wrong what? movie. Wrong movie. What? <laughs> what is happening? 
think about saving Private Ryan a lot. <laughs> that stupid morph. Um, thoughts on uh, the kid actor there or any of the other performances you want to highlight there? Oh, Bobby's great. Yeah. Um, he's also not, like, he's not, like, when I think about a 50s kid, it's like, gee willikers, Mr. Martin, I'll head down to the, to the old soda pop and get myself mm-hmm. a drink. But he's not, he's not stereotypical like that, which might be the benefit of, like, making this in the 50s and not in the 2010s. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's very just honest. I understand, like. It's interesting to watch this kid just turn. Not like, mm-hmm. not in like a bad way, but in a very like, like, yeah, this kid is going to change because children, one of their biggest emotions is fear. And so when he acts out of fear, we don't, we're not like, oh, Bobby, and we're not like pissed off at him, which I think it's a good thing to put a child in. Because yeah. as an adult, it's like, no, adult, use logic and reasoning. But as a child, you're like, yeah, I get it, kid. Like it's crazy. This guy has diamonds. And this guy, <laughs> and this guy who he perceives to be his friend, um, then he he starts doing some pretty shady stuff, and now he's got to grapple with that. The other performances in the film, Gort, Gort. We haven't uh, talked about Gort at all. I love Gort. Gort's great. Uh, Gort is a played by I can't remember his name. I'll get it. Uh, but he is an, Lock Martin. He's like an eight foot tall actor, or like he's like very tall. Um, and seven he, seven seven seven, and he was found at the Chinese theater, Grom's Chinese theater, is an usher, and so he uh has giantism and like was just very tall, and he only did most of his credits are playing giant or tall thing. Um, you know what's sad? He's uncredited in a lot of his work. Oh, buddy. Hashtag justice for Lock Martin. Yeah, hashtag justice for Lock Martin. Um, so the other thing that I find really interesting is because he has giantism, he's also very kind of frail, and so he's this very imposing figure. And you see him standing in his like spandex type suit, and he's very imposing. But then you also see there's a shot where he's carrying Bobby's mom, the love interest of this movie, who I, I think is more than just Bobby's mom and a love interest. I think she's got some aspects of things that she's doing. We can talk about her in a second. Well, it's his connection. Helen is his connection to humanity because yes. like, like Bobby is the one who will listen to him and then he loses Bobby. So he's like, oh, hey, well now I'm going to get this lady on my side. Well, when they're in that elevator scene where they're, they're trapped in the elevator when the power goes out, um, I think that's where she starts to, to become a more active character in the story mm-hmm. and that she's hearing what needs to be said and she then becomes the, the person who needs to eventually save everything by taking the magic three word phrase, Klaatu, Barada, Nikto, Nikto to Gort himself. Mm-hmm. But after this, Gort carries her up the ramp into the spaceship and, like, you can tell the actor can't actually do this because you see the wires from, from her following along. Um, I, I like the performance. There's not a lot to it, but it's it, it, he's a very menacing figure, and it's a very... Like, I, I, I don't think this character works as well if it isn't for somebody who is able to kind of emote through some of that headpiece and his body movements and stuff like that. You get, you get a feeling for who this robot is a little bit. 
this robot who will destroy us all if we don't keep the peace. Maybe we should try it. I, you know, <laughs> you're not wrong. I, I think that's another interesting theme of this movie is that at the end of the day, Klaatu says, or, or the speech that, that basically ends everything is, we are here to tell you that if you do not keep the peace and you do not stop your research in a nuclear weaponry, you will be thrust into this system and you'll have thousands of gorts on your planet telling you you're either going to be a peaceful civilization or you will be dead. And I think it's really, it's fascinating to think of this idea of this almost totalitarian government, but the totalitarian idea is peace. And if you break this peace, that's when the rain of hellfire will fall upon you. It's a police state, but where everyone is under the same scrutiny of policing. Yeah. And I don't think that... It's almost like we're all held to the same standards, like we should be. Yeah, I agree (laughs) with you. And I don't think that it's saying that you can't live your life, because I think that it's saying you can. I don't think it would create some sort of dystopian Pleasantville type future but it would hold you to standards yeah absolutely it would require you to be good it would require you to collaborate yeah there you go yeah it would require you to collaborate and to listen and to collaborate and listen ask back in a brand new invention something grabs a hold of me tightly flows like a harpoon daily and nightly will it ever stop yo i don't know he stopped (laughs) his career took a hard did you get to cool as ice for our upcoming episode absolutely not oh okay maybe you should have maybe that would have been the one my list was fine this was great it was different it was good some somehow we had no crossover in four lists. You'll find out what we're talking about in like a month, everybody, on our teen movie episode. We had crossover. Oh, we did. We had one like <laughs> one ginormous crossover. Yeah, yeah. And it crossed over me. Yeah, there passed, you go. It passed over. Um. Any other thoughts on Helen or Gort or anybody else? There's a scientist in this movie who's clearly an Albert Einstein-like figure. Sam Jaffe. Yeah, I like performance, good performance, good solid scientist, you know. Yeah, he's in Ben-Hur. It's interesting that they put this the scientist as an Albert Einstein figure. I mean, he looks like Einstein. Mm-hmm. Um, he He's a mathematician, he thinks all these things. When Einstein's still alive at this moment, like, still alive and still, like, a part of some of this... Develop a part of being against the development of nuclear weapons. Shorthand. So, you know, yeah. I, I, I just think it's a nice, it's a nice cultural reference. Yeah. Well, and it's also a, it, it, it's also a way for us to do a scientist, like visually Albert Einsteinian, but like in his personality and things, he isn't that stereotypical thing that we see today. Mm-hmm. As a scientist, he's still a person. Yeah. He he's a little strange, but he's not like he's not I don't even know how to phrase it. Like I just get so annoyed with how we we make scientists where like they're just like these like shut-ins who can't communicate with real people. Yeah. And I'm always just like or the other option is cool sexy. Scientist. <laughs> 
<laughs> like it's almost like this person was just a regular person and like yeah. he hung out and we're all like yeah uh, science yeah. yeah he's not like do you know my theory of chaos yeah <laughs> he's not <laughs> dr jeff goldblum ian malcolm <laughs> although like i'm also like well that's a better version than just <laughs> no, like fair. not being able to deal with life <laughs> yes uh, the last kind of thing that I wanted to bring up, my last point that I was thinking about for this movie, is the scope and scale and size of this movie are ginormous. And I really appreciate the way that they do that in this movie. You see multiple locations all around the world, though it is an invasion to Washington, D.C. And I think in the 1950s it makes sense because we are one of the few countries that has active, if not the only country, I want to make sure that I'm not giving false information, but I think that that has active nuclear weapons at this point. And so therefore, since the nuclear weapons are what brings the aliens down to us, it makes sense that they would go to Washington and say, no, you're the country that has this, we're going to be in your land. But not only that, it also... It, It'll, it, it broadens the scope to the world while also playing on this very personal story, but the effects, like the effect of the spaceship landing on the baseball diamonds is a really good effect. Going through just what how they show the world stopping and staying still and just the size of this movie, I think, is what allows it to hold up in so many different ways because it feels like you're watching a global story even though you're really staying with about two to four characters at any one point in time and and it's just something that is was very impressive of this movie that that i think holds up for many reasons um but the scale and the scope is is one of them and that allows the tension to build it allows the editing to really be crisp and clean and and just i think you could plop this movie down in front of anybody and they would be engaged in it. You know, it's not, it doesn't, to me, feel slow or forced or anything along those lines. It really genuinely is a really well-paced, huge-scale kind of movie. Got any other final thoughts there on the day the Earth stood still? It's good. Everyone should watch it. Yeah. Not it's... 20... Oh, wait. <laughs> not, not the 2008 one. Yeah, it's really solid. I think that this is a worth, worthy film into, like, the canon of film society. So, yeah, absolutely. It's number 82 on AFI's most heart-pounding films. Interesting. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know if I agree with it being a Listen, pounder, we weren't there in 1951. We were We were not there in 1951. But, you know, there you go. Yeah, I think that the only thing that holds it back for me at all is, like, I don't know if it's filled with most thrills and chills, but it's got good characters, and it's got a great story, and it's got a good themes and messaging, and, like, there does have a very driving third act that, that does get ratchets up that tension really well. So, yeah, absolutely. All right. Awesome, awesome. Uh, got any, we're not in our home studio. Do you got any, got any games for us for this one? Well, let's find out. Let's see what I can, see what you can See what you can whip up over there. Yes, okay. Alright. Here's the game. I can't find anything on the 1951 box office mojo page. Uh, fair enough. I think it only goes back to like the 80s. So Josh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna play, we're gonna play a game. Do okay. you want to play a game? I do. So, on sci-fi remakes, okay. <laughs> you are gonna list the top 10 highest grossing sci-fi remakes. Alright. I will tell you that the day the earth stood still is 
Number eight. Number eight. That's right. that's our jumping off point. The Day of the Earth Still is number eight. <laughs> so sci-fi remakes. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, War of the Worlds. Number two. Number two. Yes. Okay. Um. And this is from 1977. Present. Okay. Um. Is Planet of the Apes on there? Yeah, but only one. Like yes, yes. But like, oh, only one. Is it? Sorry, is it, I may have like buried the lead. Is it stupid Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes? Number four. Oh my gosh. I wonder if the other ones aren't counted as remakes. They're yeah, because they're technically prequels. So. So two thousand one. Okay. Number four. Um. So I've got two, four, and eight so far. Mm-hmm. Um. I Am Legend on there? Number one. Number one? Number one. Oh, shoot. I was like, are they considering that a remake? But okay. I don't know what it's a remake of. It's, so whatever the book is called mm-hmm. is the original film. Um, I, that might have been a dumb sentence because it might be called I Am Legend, but I think I Am Legend is a different title altogether there. Okay, so the book is called I Am Legend. However, it was um, adapted into the films... The Last Man on Earth, and The Omega Man. Okay. Before being I Am Legend. Perfect. It is also an inspiration behind Night of the Living Dead. Ah. Oh, okay. Is... Oh, that's not a sci-fi movie. Um... <laughs> who... Let me know when you want to hit. Okay. I think I might need... I might, I might, I might need some hints. I think Samuel Jackson's in this. He might wear a Kegel hat. Samuel Jackson was a Kegel hat? Yeah. Same Jack and a yeah, but it's sci-fi not, it's, remake. It's not a credit card commercial. Wait, what, what number are we? Ten. Oh, ten, okay. Sammy Jack is in it. From the odd. Wait, I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is the movie you're talking about, okay. but is RoboCop on here? Yeah, number ten. Oh, <laughs> is Sammy Jack in RoboCop? The yeah. remake? Yeah, so I saw the trailer and he's like, I think he is. I don't know. That Great. Was... <laughs> Perfect. Good clue, Kylie. We got there. I'm gonna find. I clicked on it. Oh, hey, look, Samuel Jackson. No, I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't saying you were wrong. <laughs> I was just saying I don't remember him. I feel like he works for the company that makes the RoboCop uh, stuff. I'm gonna tell you how many RoboCops I have seen. And it's not the remake. You're beating me. Yep. There you go. It was a one, listeners. It was a one. I've seen none of them. I've seen the OG when I was a kid. I don't believe... Griffin Newman would be sad right now. Griffin Newman can (sighs) shove off. Oh, shoot. Griffin, so sorry. Yeah. My third favorite. (laughs) Oh, no. Sometimes my fourth favorite. All right, what else we got? Number nine is a remake. Oh, okay. Uh, the Nutty Professor. Um, I think it stars a actor who you were you had a cold sho- shoulder to until the past five or so years. Colin. Colin Farrell. Oh, is this um, is this Total Recall? Total Recall, two thousand twelve. There it is. All right. The number eight was the day the Earth stood still. Number seven. Is a uh, it's a remake of a Spanish, uh, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it was from Spain. Uh, I'll say Spanish language at all at okay. least all uh, right. film, where and I'm pretty sure they have the same actress at actress in both of them. 
Who is the actress? Well, if I tell you that. Oh. So she's got to be able to speak Spanish and English. I mean, there's quite a few of them. Start naming them. There's like Selma. Okay. There's Penelope. Okay. There's... Maybe there's not that many. Okay, well, you've named her. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> is it Penelope or is it Selma? You tell me. Is it Selma? No. Sci-fi movies that Penelope Cruz has been in. This one is hard to view as a science fiction movie, but it is. Is Vanilla Sky a remake? Yep. Obre los ojos. Open your eyes. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Great. Never, Good uh, job, Cameron Crow. Good job, Kylie, for knowing your Obre los ojos. Yeah, no. Stars. Bravo. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, uh-huh. Number six. Hmm. <laughs> um, this is a gimmick film from the 90s. Um, or I think I would be very annoyed if I ever saw it. It's, we've got, we've got an Is act- this the movie I said like three minutes ago? Is this The Nutty Professor? Yeah. What oh, the- you said this? No, okay, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you said The Nutty Professor? You were saying something is like being like ridiculous and I was like, oh, The Nutty Professor is oh. like a stupid remake? Oh, Did not consider no. that movie a sci-fi movie. Sorry. <laughs> yes, it is. Great. <laughs> the gimmick, it's a gimmick, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, ooh, okay. Um, this, this is a genre of, Subgenre of sci-fi films that we briefly talked about earlier. Um, you brought this movie to name specifically. Is it is it Godzilla? Godzilla. Is no. it Godzilla twenty fourteen? Number three. Hey, there we go. But number five is oh. Godzilla ninety eight. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. And that's all of them. There we go. We did it. We did it, world. Wow, this is a terrible list. <laughs> uh, there's a, there's a good movie or two on there. God's, you like Godzilla so 2014? You, I don't, Godzilla 98 is in your apartment, is what I shall say from now on. I own okay. Godzilla 1998. It's a dumb movie that I like. Is there, are those the only ones you like? Uh, listen, maybe War of the Worlds? I mean, I know I don't love that movie, but like, maybe it's number two on this list? <laughs> the first two thirds. Yeah, yeah. Um, I Am Legend is... I, I like I Am Legend. That's a, I haven't okay. watched it in a long time, but that's a good movie. I haven't seen it. There you go. All right. Well, friends, if you want to join this conversation, and why wouldn't you? You can do so at friendofafriendpodcast.squarespace.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes if it's a five-star review or any star review, as well as hit that subscribe button. Klaatu Nikto. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. And I just said that. You can also find us on Facebook at Friend of a Friend Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at... DWT underscore podcast. YouTube. Ducks Watch Together. Tumblr. Ducks Watch Together. Letterboxd. Garby ACT and Kylie Gallagher. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Josh. Kylie. Quack, 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 quack. quack.